So it's seven metres out. Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Gregan again. And Larkham. Kefu. Welcome back to another episode of the Running Rugby Podcast and a special episode we've got here. Um, I'm calling in to you guys from Japan. I'm up up in the mountains and I've made a last-ditch effort to come here to try and help save the Sunwolves, the last-ditch appeal. Hopefully Japanese Rugby Union will increase their funding to get them back because, lo and behold, they just beat the Waratahs this weekend. But Leo, how did you feel after that Waratahs loss on Friday night? Oh, super disappointed. Like, we, you've had such a big success the previous week. Uh, haven't played your best rugby, but but overcame the Crusaders with a massive defensive effort. And and to not back that up and, and show that you can take that same intensity into a game where you're not up against the, one of the top teams to just fade away in both halves after looking reasonably competitive, it's it's not, not a good sign uh, for the Waratahs mentality. And... And unfortunately, I guess a lot of the the review and response to that performance is getting reflected directly on a Mac Mason. Mm. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of uh, anticipation to see him start the game and and have a really good run, get get a lot of minutes and and show what he can do. But it, it didn't seem like the team performed that well as a whole. A fair few loose passes and and he got yanked in about the 56th minute. So unfortunately, that's that's gonna hopefully well. I would hope that it doesn't impact him mentally that he feels like he's failed, but it's yeah, it's not a good feeling to lose to the bottom-ranked team in the comp. Yeah, and I think I think it started out pretty much as bad as possible, really, for the Waratahs. I think the the one thing that probably gave them that false sense of um, of what they could do was scoring in like the second minute or whatever they did um, straight over, and they suddenly everyone went, "Yep, this is going to be easy." And I don't think they put in the effort. I don't think. The team was really that focused. I think they thought it was going to be easy beats, and we saw pretty much the same thing that happened to them in Tokyo. They didn't take the Sunwolves seriously, and the Sunwolves punished them for it. Hayden Parker, outstanding, leading his team around, and absolutely amazing kicking again. Um, but that's pretty much what he does anyway. And Masawira, a hat-trick of tries, and just really silenced the Waratahs. And they're, they're blaming Mac Mason like because maybe... He didn't lead the team that well, but none of the backline really made a huge impact on this game. There were t- terrible kicks from everyone. How about Nick Phipps kicks the ball out on the full three seconds before the halftime buzzer and gives the Sunwolves uh, another attacking chance? Yeah, just that sort of lack of clinical play, obvious simple errors at important moments. And if anyone was going to step up and support Mac Mason and, and take the pressure off him, get him a chance to settle into the latter first half when things were going a bit pear-shaped, someone like Kirtley Beal, who most pundits are recognising as, you know, a quality uh, playmaker, a potential 10 for the Wallabies, obviously played 10 for the Waratahs at different times, supporting Bernard Foley, plays first receiver half the time anyway. Like, where's that senior figure stepping up and taking all the pressure off Mac Mason? Just disappointing again. There's a lot of quality experienced players in that team and, and for them not to step up and, and protect this young player 
making one of his you know first starts is, is disappointing. And and the forwards had nothing either. Again, the Sunwolves bringing lots of intensity to every set piece and and just dominating the Waratahs in almost every aspect. Yeah, and yeah, people like Michael Hooper, you know, putting in a hundred percent as he always does. But he's going to be needed to be rested as well soon. And people like Sakoki Kepu are going to be needed to be rested under this um, Wallabies resting policy. And I don't know if they have the necessary backup. And it's is it because people like like you put down Foley and you have to bring in Mason, who's only played sort of eight minutes of Super Rugby in the actual season this um, because they've been relying on their their main men for these really close victories. And I think they've been relying on them because they're always under pressure. They can't finish the game. They're not clinical in the second half when they're ahead. They feel like they have to leave those guys on. So they've, they've given very few opportunities to those bench players to, to get 20, 30 minutes out of a game and really sort of warm to the intensity of, of Super Rugby. So when they come on as a starter and, and the Sunwolves with that frantic uh, pace, keeping the ball in play as much as possible, just, you know... Uh, relentless attacking all game uh, it's it only takes a couple of tries and the heads drop and the Waratahs just didn't lift to match it mm, that's right so final score of 31 to 29 uh, Waratahs going down with a losing bonus point but very disappointing especially uh, losing at home uh, Newcastle and Australian rugby just don't don't seem to mix very well a shock loss to Scotland back in the day and now the Waratahs losing to the lowest ranked team in Super Rugby yeah maybe the Maybe the crowd need to cheer a bit harder or, look, maybe we need to take these games that are out of town a bit more seriously. It's not just a junket out of Sydney or mm. out of a capital. You know, it's a real opposition. They're, they're in the competition equal of any other team. Mm. Don't take them for for granted. Yeah, well, the Sun will stay in Australia. Um, they're heading down to Melbourne this week to take on a Rebels team and the Waratahs heading over to New Zealand to face a Blues team that took down the Stormers over the weekend. But speaking of the Rebels, we'll go to that game next. This was the big storyline, Genia and Quaid heading back to Queensland. And it shaped up as a really tough contest, but on the actual day, um, the Rebels really took over this one and took and took down the Reds, 32-13. And it was pretty evenly poised early on. Like, it was a bit of an arm wrestle, trading penalties. Uh, no one... No one breaking through for a try until the end of the first half. And I think the Rebels just had the class and the and the strength of mind to stay in the game and, and keep applying the pressure. After a lot of possession in the first half, they, they then converted that in into points late in the half and into the second half. And Quaid and uh, Will Genia were so fired up to come back to Red's heartland and, and uh-huh. show, show the combination has still got a lot of fire and a little lot of ability and that's why they're under serious consideration for the Wallabies the the amount of uh, screaming out of Genia firing his boys up and mm. you know cheering them on every time they wanted a ruck or destroyed a mall or stole a line out like that's that's the sort of support behind your forward pack you, you couldn't ask for more than that yeah 100% and I think it started at the forward pack and we saw a really strong pack named in this one. Look, they don't have the biggest names, say, in their front row, but people like Anaru Rangi really keep putting their hands up week after week. And then you've got a really classy second row. Uh, and the back row with Luke Jones now pretty cemented there at six, disrupting lineouts, along with Cottrell and Izzy Nasirani, who had a huge game. And it's such a, a big force. And they, they really knocked all the momentum out of this 
uh, Reds pack that we kept being told is their biggest strength. Yeah, Luke Jones, he, he's my player of the round uh, this week. He He's lifted again, been involved in all those set pieces, stole the line outs multiple times. I think in total the the Reds lost three line outs all to Luke, Luke Jones's hand. So, look, that's pretty impressive. That's, that's something which if he can do that every week, that's the sort of uh, extra X factor that we that we want to see and, and bring that to an international scene, stealing a bit of that set-piece ball, particularly against strong forward teams like the South Africans who are going to try and maul you over the line, score mm. tries uh, pretty regularly. That's a, that's a big tactic for them. Someone who's going to compete in those lineouts is, is going to be really valuable. Yeah, I'm, I'm coming more and more to the idea that I think I want Luke Jones uh, in a Wallabies jersey and I think I want him in the sixth jersey come the rugby championship because if he can do half of what he's been doing in Super Rugby just as a line-out threat in the defensive line-out, then he's such a valuable asset. I have to have a closer look in the next few games who does the lifting for him too because obviously it's not just him. True, um, true. But, but the the balance in the air and in, equally he's he's contesting and he's not getting penalised. So yeah. you see a lot of guys like Adam Coleman, Rob Simmons, they contest. Often there's there's a penalty or two in a game where they've put an arm on a player they look like they've tried to uh, wrap him up in the air before they've made it to the ground. And, and that can be one of those sort of rolling back-to-back penalties that just march a team down the field. Mm. Luke Jones seems to be competing, contesting without infringing. And and that's even more valuable because you're disrupting their set piece some of the time and you're not taking that risk that you're going to march them down the field another 40 metres. Yeah, 100%. And Jack Maddox, another double for him in this and keeps him on top of the Super Rugby try-scoring ladder with eight tries so far this season and just showing his ability in the air, leaping over Hamish Stewart to take that one from Quade Cooper and then um, again benefiting from one of Quade's kicks in the second half uh, to dive over the line. But yeah, he's just continuing to play with class and you've got to take your hat off to him. He's um, really going to be making it hard for him not to be picked in that starting team for the Wallabies. Yeah, he comes with a lot of flexibility, but th- those aerial skills like... He's probably second to fall out, really, in Australian rugby. If you're putting a ball up or or deep for a man to run onto, leap and catch. Mm. Um, obviously, Falau's the guy we see on all the posters. But Jack Maddox is proving himself to be just as capable, and and he he has um, you know similar assets to Falau, really. It's, I don't know, maybe Falau's got a bigger step, and he's definitely sort of probably. Um, puts the fear in the opposition when he's running the ball back. But I'd be just as afraid of Maddox to, to pull some moves. And he's got a good, uh, steady, steady mind when it comes to offloading at the right time and carrying, holding the ball. He's a, he's a useful winger. He can clear out a ruck. He's not sort of hopeless as getting pushed off the ball. So, yeah, very, another very valuable asset. And hopefully he stays fit and healthy and we can look at him for the squad come time. Yeah, and on the red side of the ball, as you said, forwards a little bit. Um, taken aback from this Rebels pack, but the backs just didn't seem like they ever got a chance to fire. Hegarty's just constantly kicking it away, and they had a bit of a shuffle again in their back line. We saw Karevi move back out to 13 with power, um, coming into 12 to cover a four-way Saltillo hamstring strain earlier in the week. Yeah, that was an unfortunate reshuffle. I think we definitely prefer Karevi at 12 and Chris Fowler-Saltillo outside him. Mm. Uh, and looks like this week they're going to get Karevi back at 12, which is a positive thing. Uh, surprisingly, it was the Reds' backs who made most of the breaks and 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 beaten beaten most of the defenders in this game. But I guess it's that 
structure and and the support play of the rebels that meant even if the first man's beaten they were able to wrap them up in the second line and again that's that's the a, a sign of a of a balanced stable team a mature team uh, who trust in each other and and can remain spread out aren't aren't going to sacrifice some areas of the field in defense they they know they can cover everything because they can trust their guys one on one well it 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 didn't really even look like the rebels were suffering any of that fatigue that we worried about with them traveling back from South Africa. If anything, the Reds looked like the team that was out on their feet in this one. Yeah, that's true. And and maybe that's credit to Dave Wessels for resting certain players and managing them through that tour. We we did criticize them a bit for resting players against the Sharks and maybe giving up an opportunity to get an away win there after losing a, a strong lead to the Lions as well. But I guess you've got to weigh up if you're going to accept a few losses here and there what you, which ones are the most important certainly winning over your division rival your conference rivals is pretty important mm. uh, away wins valuable but those ones in your own conference might be the difference come tie break later in the season so if if any uh tricks he can pass on to the other coaches maybe in the off season we'll get a bit more um balance in the player management from other sides and let's see less of that return fatigue from guys traveling over to South Africa, it's always been a big challenge. Definitely. So we saw the Rebels jump above the Waratahs and take back first position, second overall in Super Rugby now, um, just behind the Crusaders. Uh, but other games that we had over the weekend, and we'll just run through these a bit quickly. Um, Hurricanes going down against the Crusaders earlier on Friday, and that was 32 to 8, to eight the Crusaders, and just completely clinical, they took them out. Yeah, the Hurricanes, again, a... a team of stars but not playing like a unified uh, team like the Crusaders always do so look I tipped it I was pretty happy with my tip mm. I think I was one of the few that, that picked that one but you just can't you can't tip against the Crusaders very often and you can you can pretty much guarantee they're going to bounce back after any loss they, they very very rarely lose two in a row yeah very true well done Leo I didn't I didn't get that one um, other games we had the Blues have a formidable showing against the Stormers, 24-9, to and keeping the Stormers uh, trialless, and watch what, which was a reasonably close game, but Blues starting to assert some dominance here. Yeah, particularly at home. That's three out of four f- at home for them now. Uh, and they, they didn't really have the possession uh, or, the, or the territory in this game, but it was those explosive plays out of guys like Rico Ioani and Milani Nanai that, that really uh, helped them in this game. And Otero Black... Had a pretty good game as well. Was very involved all over the field. Scored some points himself. Mm. Um, you know, just just a more cohesive effort. The, the Blues are gradually getting things together, and, and strong home performances will hopefully give them some confidence when they do go on tour that they're they're able to compete at home. And it's just a mental uh, factor they've got to overcome when they travel, and maybe some fatigue. Yeah, exactly. And discipline, I think, was really good from the Blues. Only gave away seven penalties in this one. And I think that really, when you can keep yourself down to single-digit penalties, that really helps your team sort of move forward. And it just takes away a lot of those roadblocks that you get when the other team's constantly getting piggybacked down the field by um, your errors. Other games are we have Sharks and Bulls. And the Bulls just managing to take this one uh, by three points, 19 to 16. Andre Pollard's boot really the difference in this one. And I thank you, Andre Pollard. Your boot and those three points gave me the perfect pick with the margin. I'm still backing the Bulls. I'm 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 happy with that uh, this weekend. And I, I think they they are again maturing 
that little bit more than some of these other South African teams. It does feel like it's sort of win-loss, win-loss for most of these South African teams each mm. each week. Uh, but the Bulls are, are building a little bit more momentum now. It's another away win, and and I expect the seniority in the, you know, the Springboks players in that team are going to start leading the rest of the, the guys around and, and trying to drum into them a bit of confidence that, that they are the team to beat in the South African Conference. The Sharks still looking a bit raw. Uh, not a high-scoring game, but a lot of these South African derbies tend to be a, a little bit grindy and, and bashy, so a lot of penalty, a lot of trading penalty goals. Yeah. And really, really a, a lot of the stats are in the Sharks' favour again, so it's a bit like the Blues game. Um, the Bulls did a lot with, with the little they had and um, didn't, didn't turn it over too often either. It's funny, it's almost like these games are becoming more of what we saw in the Australian derbies a few years ago where they were much harder fought, grinding, a lot more chance of people getting in scuffles, as we saw in this one, Skulk Brits and Van der Merwe uh, got in the scuffle, throwing punches, both got red carded um, in this one and sent off, though, uh, sharing pictures of them, sharing a, a beverage after the game in the chamber rooms with no hard feelings, which is nice to see just in terms of what we like to see in our in our rugby and the general spirit that it's played in. Yeah, guys not taking it personally. Uh, I guess it's a shame for their team that they, that they were reduced to 14, but at least there was parity. Uh, it used to really frustrate me seeing those Australian derby games where it did just become some sort of slog fest and no one was willing to chance their hand because they had to play conservative, couldn't afford to be um, torn apart from, from risky play. Mm. Um, but yeah, good teams this season, like like the someone like the Highlanders last year, good teams this season are scoring points with not a lot of possession. So the philosophy that if you can just keep the ball you're, you're going to restrict the other team's opportunities and, and hopefully get more of yourself. It's it's not bearing out for a lot of these teams. The good teams are, are making the most of what they get. Yeah, got to do more. And the final game of the round, the Hacky Warriors um, off the bye taking on the Chiefs. And Chiefs, they're keeping building on this momentum and they took this one 30-27. It was a bit of a case of the Chiefs had it all in the first half. Hacky Warriors came storming back, but um, Teora, Teharangi, uh, the reserve halfback for the Chiefs, the difference getting a try just in the last couple of minutes to keep the Chiefs in front. Yeah, this one this one hurt. I, I wasn't able to watch it live, but I was watching the score updates and, and having had the Haguaras come back and, and in the lead and with my tip in the margin, I thought, oh, I'm going to get this one too. This is going to be cap off a great week of tipping and then the Chiefs managed to pull something out there late in the game. But again, they have a lot of the, the run of the play, a lot of possession, a lot of territory. Touring well. This this Chiefs team doing a lot with what they've got, um, holding possession, keeping the Haguaras away from the ball. You know, there's still a team where, you know, you get someone like Damien McKenzie can can light it up, can can break any any defensive line, whether it's himself or one of these flat passes as he scampers around laterally. And the yeah the, the Chiefs made enough breaks and were, were offloading regularly and and mm. the Haguaris just couldn't keep up. Well, 20 missed tackles from the Haguaris that really helps the Chiefs um, bend the line and get through. But I and 16 turnovers conceded, mm. so a lot of lot of handing the ball back, which was the old that was the old Haguaris. They unable to hold onto the ball, build some phases and then spill it when they had their opportunities. So yeah, a bit disappointing on their side. But speaking of the Chiefs, I don't know how they're getting away with playing Damian McKenzie all this time. Surely this guy's an all-black. He needs to be rested the same as everyone else. It seems like he's somehow immune to that and gets to play for his team every week no matter what. 
Maybe if you rest him at 10 or rest him at 15 by moving him around the park, you, you get away with it. He just it. can't wear well, maybe, the same number that many weeks in a row. <laughs> yeah, can't, can't play 10 too many times. But really, like you got you got to wonder if, if, if you're able to rest these guys whenever you want. Someone, some one of these teams is going to decide, well, we're going to try and get ourselves up the ladder a certain number of wins before we're willing to start resting people rather than relying on playing catch-up later in the season. And, and maybe the Chiefs of that team, they, they've had enough injuries and, and players out that can they really afford to, to rest their frontline guys. They'll be decimated without them. Mm. Uh, that wraps up that round. And I, w- I will apologise for the sound quality coming from my end. You're, you're hearing a, a huge amount of um, other Japanese tourists heading up into the mountains with me in the background. But... Uh, you know, dedicated the podcast. So even if it's from a hotel lobby, I'm happy to keep doing it. Um, but let's let's get into tips and round eight, Leo. And it's going to be a good round this one. And we start off on Friday night. Um, Highlanders taking on the Hurricanes down at Forsyth Bar. And the Highlanders have a really really good trend of winning at home. And I think there's some huge amount of uh, victory streak that the Hurricanes will be looking to break this week. Yeah, another tricky one. And like I said with the Crusaders last week. How often did the Hurricanes lose two in a row? So b- beware the wounded beast. Uh, the Hurricanes will definitely want to try and get get one back. And will they break the streak? Well, there's a pretty good chance. I, I do like the Highlanders. They're my they're they're my um, quite favourite team from New Zealand. They they're another team that does a lot with a little. But can they beat the Hurricanes? I think it's probably going to be close. But I think the Hurricanes do pip them. I think that that sheer will to to not go down twice in a row they've, they've got a lot of pride these hurricanes and and they'll want to keep that keep themselves up the top of that new zealand conference I, yeah i don't want to see what the team looks like for the highlanders they they've been you know alternating between people like marty banks and Joshua Awani at their 10 position um and i just think they need someone that's going to keep the ball in hand and go a bit more attacking flair I, i'd like to see Joshua come back in because i think despite marty banks has got an excellent boot and he's really good at playing some territory but if you're kicking the ball away too much to especially the um, backs of the Hurricanes, they, they're going to hurt you. So I think the Highlanders can do it if they pick the right team there. Uh, next game we have, and that's the Reds hosting the Stormers uh, that are looking to finish up their tour with trying to taste a little bit of success that they haven't had so far. Yeah, this one's tricky. You, you, in a game where I'm not really sure what what team is is coming in with momentum um i'm, I'm probably gonna lean toward the home team mm. the stormers have been held out to to low scores uh certainly last week um they did they did manage to put a lot of points on the hurricanes the previous week but this is their third week away are they going to be fatiguing they'll definitely see the reds as an opportunity to to get a win um if they do start resting players or if they've got any underlying injuries i'm I'll probably probably reserve my final call until I see the teams, but I think the Reds will be primed and, and ready for this. I think I'm going to go with the home team. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to agree. The Reds would have copped an absolute tongue lashing from Brad Thorne, I think, throughout this week, um, but he'll definitely have them in the right mindset and looking aggressively at this game because the Reds need to solidify a little bit of what they've been doing and take away some points, and if they can do what they did to the Brumbies two weeks ago. It seems like a lot of these Australian teams are almost doing this one week on, one week off sort of thing. The Brumbies do it, the Waratahs seem to do it, and the Reds seem to do it as well. So hopefully this is the week they come and turn on. Next game and we have on Saturday morning, uh, it's the Lions hosting the Sharks, and the Lions coming off a bye this week. 
Um, but I think they should be able to take this one away from the Sharks. Uh, at home in Johannesburg, Lions, obviously we know, are a bit of a deadly force. Um, the Sharks, they again just seem a little bit hard to tip at the moment and they, they're off... They're also suffering from a bit of lack of consistency. Um, but Rob Dupree, I don't think, is quite leading the team around as well as what Yankees has been doing in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I think I'd agree with that. The The Sharks, just not quite that polished team yet. Uh, we, we know they're working on it. They've got a young side. They've got some, some raw young players. But they haven't been scoring a, a wealth of points week in, week out. And travelling up to Johannesburg to play the Lions, who we know have a lot of points in them. I would expect that the Lions can, can roll them. Mm. Um, people, but even though the Sharks have named their team, so that, that lineup is out, and it's it's a very strong lineup. Like They've they've returned to the Esther Heisen, Lacanio Am, uh, centre pairing, Bosch at fullback. Um, it's it's a solid side, but I just think the Lions at home, I think it's probably like, so, uh, about a 10 to 15 point victory in this one. Yeah, yeah, I think I would agree with that. Um, next, we have the Brumbies coming off their bye and they're heading over to Christchurch. And other thing in recent news that Christchurch is sort of... Um, the Crusaders have agreed that they'll look at changing their name or at least, as you correctly predicted, Leo, changing that symbolism of having the um, horseback crusader riding around the field beforehand. But the Brumbies heading into a really tough, tough time over there in Christchurch. Yeah, this is going to be a really difficult one for the Brumbies. I guess the Waratahs have proven that the Crusaders are fallible, but I I imagine that's, that now they've had a, a few players take a rest and they're, they're returning home. They'll want to be playing their full-strength side and, and the Brumbies really probably will have great difficulty matching that uh, that intensity. Uh, interesting, yeah, I saw that article during last week talking about the, the mascots and the imagery on, on the ground. They've... For, for a long time, they've had a, a group of uh, crusaders riding around on horses on the field. And, you know, it's a great spectacle, but unfortunately the sensitivities now um, are probably such that that type of imagery they'll have to tone down. And and mm. who knows? I'm sure they'll come up with something clever. They're, they're an intelligent organisation. They certainly um, don't embrace the, the nasty side of that crusader history, but they'll, they'll find some way to maintain the the history that they have without upsetting anyone i'm sure yeah definitely but I, I think you're right the crusaders should be able to take this one and it'll be difficult to see with the brumbies i want to see them put up a bit of defense in this one but yeah i don't think it'll be enough of a, a rolling crusaders team and if the brumbies can't get this win they'll be uh they'll be three from seven for the year which which is a pretty poor line uh it's on par with the reds obviously struggling at the moment with only the two wins and well and truly looking out of form compared to the Rebels and even the part-time Waratahs. Yeah, if, if they drop this one, it's hard to see um, them getting back up into the top echelons of that conference system, but still a fair fair way um, to go in this season yet. Um, next, we have the Blues hosting the Waratahs coming over to Eden Park, and, and Waratahs' first foray into New Zealand for this year, and God, you, you really hope that they're going to change their attitude and change the way they approach this game because this is a Blues team that is dangerous and similar to the Sunwolves will continue to come at you all game. Yeah, they've, they've proven themselves at home. Uh, that's where they like to, to win. So can can the Waratahs recover from the, the shake-up they've had last week? 
obviously you expect the lineup to look a little bit more like what we're used to, that starting side back in place. Uh, very tough one to tip. I, I, I don't expect the Waratahs, you know, for, in recent years, we've, we've any Australian team has struggled to win in New Zealand. So how much of that history is still there or how much have we broken that trend? I actually think the Blues might have this. I think they might tip, they might take us by just a couple of points. Well, yeah, I'm I'm leaning the same way, but I I think the Waratahs surely will be able to identify a few things this week, and like we've seen, there's a week on week off for them, and they'll be bringing a bit more strength back into that lineup. I hope they do push uh, Carmichael Hunt into twelve and get that Carmichael Adam Ashley Cooper centre pairing just for the defence because they're gonna need that when they're facing up against my Nono Sonny Bill Williams. So surely one of them is going to be at least starting at 12 and one of them probably finishing it. Uh, so you really need that strong defence. But I'd hope that they can do that, and I think the Waratahs should be able to take this one. Next game we have, and it's the Rebels hosting the Sunwolves. Rebels finally getting back to Melbourne um, and hosting the Sunwolves down there on Saturday night. And the Rebels, hopefully, they will learn something from what the Waratahs faced and Wessels will be... Uh, keen to put one over the Sunwolves here and, and not give this team any other sort of pride. They, the Rebels need to keep keep their role moving. Yeah, this is a good week for the Rebels, really. The, the Reds and the Rebels are the only two of the four Australian teams at home. Uh, the Rebels are already two wins out in front of the Reds and the Brumbies. And, and to be honest, all three other teams are really at risk of a loss. The, the Rebels here have the, the plum position of playing the cellar-dweller Sunwolves. And I think, as you say, the... The surprise to the Waratahs last week, that, that's going to take in a lot of energy and a lot of motivation for the Sunwolves. If they can maintain that energy level, this should be a cracker of a game, especially with the yeah the relentless attack of the Sunwolves. But the Rebels will certainly be prepared and and they won't they won't want to let themselves be surprised like the Waratahs did. They'll bring the energy all, all game. I think the Rebels have probably got this one, I'm going to say, by 12 to 14. Yeah, I agree. I think the Rebels will definitely take this one even by more. They've shown their point-scoring prowess, and so they should be able to keep in front of the Sunwolves. Uh, definitely not saying the Sunwolves won't be able to keep up with them, though. Uh, the final game of the round, though, and the Bulls are hosting the Hagiwaras down in Pretoria. Hagiwaras uh, needing to get a few wins because they're they're sitting down at the bo- bottom of their um, conference, but bottom of the whole Super Rugby with only two wins from six games now. Yeah, I... I've got a soft spot for the Haguaras. I've, I've tipped them a few times this year, and it hasn't come out for me. Um, and obviously, I'm, I'm pretty heavy on the Bulls to, to top this conference, so I will be tipping the Bulls in this game. Uh, I do want to see the Haguaras play well, though. They're, they're back on tour, back in South Africa. Um, we we want to see them able to perform and, and compete in those away games. The last thing we need is a weak Haguaras team uh, for this season, potentially bringing up more talk and discussion of... Uh, super rugby change and, and other teams that aren't performing well enough to warrant inclusion in our competition. So I think the Bulls will take this one and I just hope the Haguaros can put up a, a decent effort and keep it tight all the way through. Yeah, I think you called it, Leo. I don't think the Bulls will uh, be have a problem disposing of the Haguaros. They'll continue to have Andre Pollard keep them in front with his boot and the Fords will keep on rolling until uh, they're sort of wicked fast outside backs can capitalise. Um, but, yeah, I think that'll actually be a really good game because, as you say, the Haguaros have so much potential and when they come up against um, some of these teams that are a little bit more structured and slow, they tend to 
um, you use a bit more of their flair. And a question I I don't know the answer to. Do we under do we know why Buffelli hasn't been playing fullback for the Haguaras in, in recent weeks? He's he's been fit, he's been playing on the wing most of the time. I I'm I'm not sure what, what's happened there. Is there do we think their fullback's a better option than Buffelli? Because last year he was lethal. Yeah, I'm not really sure. I mean, I know he did cop a hip injury a bit earlier in the year, but you're right, he has been back at playing and been on the wing, and they've seemed to prefer Tuchelet uh, at fullback. And I think whether that's something that's come down from the national team, whether they think Buffelli's more likely to be playing on the wing there and they want to give a little bit of extra time. But you're right, he was absolutely um, immense last year at fullback, and he's still scoring tries out there on the wing. You'd think that they'd look to bring him back into the fold. I just remember him being particularly strong, um, holding that defensive line at that second line of defence. And I guess as long as they're using him frequently, uh, coming in off the wing, that those uh, line busting runs he would make off the inside shoulder of uh, Sanchez just appear out of nowhere and be ten metres behind the line almost immediately as soon as he got the ball and. And that's that was such an, uh, a strong attacking option for them uh, last year. I just hope they they haven't forgotten. They need to watch last year's tape and remember how well they did when they went on that seven game romp. Exactly, and they, they're still yet to go on their tour. And look, I don't think they're going to be able to do that sort of same thing um, when they go on tour unless they build some momentum with these uh, conference games in South Africa. That wraps it up for round eight for the Super Rugby. The only other thing we have this weekend is the. Grand final of the Super W, and that's as a result um, of last week's semi-final, which had the Queensland Reds hosting the Brumbies that had had to go from Western Australia back up to Queensland, and Queensland took it to them, and yeah, they managed to capitalise on a few Brumbies errors here, and Queensland have set up a revenge game against the Waratahs, a rematch of last year's final, as they won this one 39-10, and the final will be on this weekend, I think it's 4pm over at Leichhardt Oval on Sunday afternoon, which I think is a really good option in terms of playing uh, this at one of these smaller regions. Leichhardt Oval is absolutely a great ground, and that's where they played their initial match in round three, the Queenslanders and the Tars women, and they packed out that stadium before, so I expect a really good uh, crowd to be heading there for this one as well. And that was a reasonably tight game too. It was only 28-17, to 17, so only within a couple of scores. We hope hope this game will be just as tight and uh, who knows, maybe the, maybe New South Wales can go back-to-back the inaugural two years and maybe Queensland can make it one-on-one. Yeah, that's right. It's going to be a close one, but I think I think you've still got to take the Tars at this stage. They've obviously got the history and they've had a very stable lineup and being led around really well by Chloe Lopepe in that number 10 jersey. But that's probably all we have time for this week. A little bit of a expedited podcast. Uh, I, I need to get back out and get back to the Sunwolves Embassy to keep pro- protesting and hopefully keep our Super Rugby back how we want it. Um, but thank you all for tuning in. As always, we'll keep you updated with the teams and put out some of those polls on Instagram at the Running Rugby Podcast and keep up to date with all the other rugby news at, on our Twitter at Running Rugby Pod. Other than that, guys. Make sure to tell your friends, download us. We're on all the major platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and the rest. And keep listening, keep downloading, and we love hearing back from you. So if you have any comments you want, send us a flick, us a message, send us a question. We'll try and get them out on the podcast. But 
big weekend of rugby to get to. We'll be back next week. Until then, keep on running. Run.